Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Gary Morgan, former CEO of Splash News, and I'm here to talk about the, uh, all the ways the paparazzi industry has worked in the past and continues to work today to excite everyone. Hey, everybody, it's Tony Robbins. Hey, guys, I'm Audrina Patrick. Hey, this is Adam Carolla. You're on the Hollywood Raw podcast. You're watching Hollywood Raw. You're listening to and watching Hollywood Raw. This is the Hollywood Raw podcast, hosted by entertainment veteran Dax Holt and street journalist Adam Glynn. The podcast humanizing Hollywood. From celebrities to media moguls, even paparazzi and bodyguards have come to break news, break their silence, or just have a great conversation on Hollywood Raw. If they're on Hollywood Raw, there's a reason. From Page Six to TMZ, Daily Mail, and People Magazine, everyone is talking about the Hollywood Raw podcast with Dax Holt and Adam Glynn. Welcome to the Hollywood Raw Podcast. I'm Dax Holt, Adam Glenn, my buddy. He's on the other side of the country. We are now getting ready to have a very fun podcast today because uh, we've got someone kind of special coming in, someone who knows more about the paparazzi industry than most people. He ran one of the biggest paparazzi agencies uh, of all time, Splash News, for many, many years. He is now retired from it, but uh, I'm excited to have him on. But, hi, Adam. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, it's, I probably it, should have I'm said hi. You, yeah, no, as I'm talking to you, I just got hit up by us. Uh, I just got a tip uh, to do um, a celebrity setup shot, which, Ooh. by the way, it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm not going to say who the person is. I'll say after. But it's yeah. if the person comes to town because uh, they're trying to debate if they should come to New York. But uh, our guest today, actually, we're going to ask him all about the celebrity pop uh, setup shots. We're going to also ask him about some of the crazy stuff that he was able to see before it got to the public's hands and how the relationship between him and the media and the celebrity, how it all goes hand in hand, how everyone sort of works together, but they don't necessarily work together, if that makes sense. Well, we, you know what I want to ask him? Because he is retired, I feel like um, at this point, he doesn't have anything to lose. He like sold his company and everything, but... Kim Kardashian used to do a lot of, I believe, setup shots with Splash. I don't know if he'll talk about it, but I'm interested to hear if he does because yeah. I find that relationship so fascinating. And there were so many like exclusive photo shoots that Splash had of them, like hanging out on the beach and all this kind of stuff. Um, so that's, I, I don't know, that's like one thing I really want to get into him with. But, um, let's not make him wait too long. Let me go ahead. I'm going to read a review, uh, for people that are tuning in for the first time to the podcast, uh, leaving us review on iTunes is the best thing you can do. You scroll down to the bottom of our show page and uh, leave a five-star review, a comment, and put your name in there so I can read it out loud, like I'm about to do right now. Uh, this one comes from Winnie's So... How do I say that name, Adam? I don't know. Just go Winnie's with it. Winnie's so Winnie Sofa Woo. Mr. Sofa Woo. <laughs> Uh, it says, Tara Reid loved it, always felt bad for her and so many young stars. We all partied late 
uh, teens and 20s. We just didn't have pictures and judgment of the world, which is always a spin of Hollywood news journalism on women mostly. Girls like boys just like to have fun, laugh out loud. Of course, found you on Juicy Scoop months ago and look forward to your bi-weekly pods. You owe Heather a good gift. I hear lots of us found you from Juicy Scoop. You are both now on my top favorite pods from Kim. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. We do owe Heather McDonald something, right? (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs) She sent a lot of people over here. She's awesome. It really helped us out a lot. Um, But also, it's um, yeah, it's just great. I really appreciate it. Listen to both. Um, Again, we're just you know nothing against a lot of people in the industry. From our perspective, we both have you know, if the first time listening to Hollywood Raw. We both have more than a decade of experience working in the entertainment news world, so we try to give our, our perspective from an industry point of view um, and give our side, but also try to give us a little bit of dirt that might not might not necessarily know. We're not a blind item people. We're just people talking shit, but like real shit. Um, that's it. Thank you for that review, though. Um, <laughs> keep them coming, guys. And actually, if you've keep already left a review, grab your spouse, grab your friend, your partner. Make sure they leave a review. Put your name in there so we give you the the proper shout out on to today's guest, Dax. Tell me about our guest today. Uh, Gary Morgan, he is a legend in the celebrity photograph world. He ran Splash News, which is probably one of the most well-known paparazzi agencies for years and years and years. Um, my my time with him goes way back, um, and I am very excited to pick his brain, see what it was like as the CEO of Splash News for so long. What are the some of the stories that came across his desk? Some of the wild things that I didn't even know about. Um, Gary, thank you so much for joining us, buddy. I mean, shit, I, I feel like I've known you for so long. But when you know, when I worked at TMZ. You were running Splash, which is uh, for people that don't know people. A, a lot of people these days know what Backward is, just because it is talked about all the time through influencers and that kind of stuff. But Splash was really like when I was at Team Z at the height of the Team Z days. Splash was the place they were selling all the photos, they were getting all the exclusives. What was it like running a company that was like on top of the world when it came to celebrity photography back then? Well, you know, just to backtrack slightly from that, um, it was both a shock, (laughs) um, a lot of luck, a lot of hard work. But essentially what we did was in England, every town has a mini AP that feeds the national newspapers. And so you're in an hour by hour contest all the time with the national photographers. Um, But over in the US, really, local newspapers would give to AP who would then put it on their international wire the next day. And so suddenly we found that we could beat the international wires by 24 hours by just being at the spot and shooting it and sending it straight out. And it got to a point where we were putting out maybe 15,000 pictures a day, maybe 12, 14, 20 exclusives, big money exclusives back then. We had 10,000 photographers around the world, all on a freelance sort of cut basis. We even had uh, the White House's photographer give us stuff on the side. Dalai Lama's photographer would give us stuff on the side when celebrities went over there. But we always like to think we built some schools in Nepal, but who knows? Um, <laughs> that's the worthy side of, uh, of the job. Um, and uh, it was, I think really it was the internet, if you want the summary of it, that really kicked it off. Because we had five territories we were selling to before the internet kicked in. And we'd have to print out 8 by 10 FedExes and we'd ship them down to Australia and say, here's a picture of Mel Gibson in his doorway. Do you want it? And they'd go, no, and send it back. 
and then you send the same picture because you don't want to print another one and then a FedEx to England to the Sunday Mirror who might say no. So they give it back and say, in the end, it'd say, can you just take it around to the News of the World's office? Because if you don't want it, we're going to offer it to them. And it might sell three weeks later for 10, 15, 20 grand. And it's probably got coffee stains on it at this point. And so <laughs> it was a very slow process. Um, and then suddenly, FTP, FTP transfer protocols came in where you could just drop and drag from one folder to another on someone else's computer. Slow, but it, would, but it was much faster than the FedEx. And then email kicked in, and suddenly we went to 65 countries. And you could email every single media outlet in every single country in 65 countries in five minutes. And that's the thing that really changed the whole celebrity uh, world, really, because there's literally two billion people in the world who are interested in celebrity, probably more than that now. That was in my days when we probably only had three billion people on the planet. But if you think about it, gossip is the second oldest industry in the world. The first one we all know, you have to pay for that one too. But, you know, gossip is really the one. You talk about your neighbors and, and you talk about celebrities more than you talk about your sister or your brother. Mm-hmm. And I think well, that's really... Yeah, Gary, I'm actually, so for the people who aren't familiar with a photo agency or a news agency that you know, which you ran, which was very successful. How does it exactly work? You know, like for me, from my side, I send you, I shoot the photos as a celebrity. Let's say Angelina Jolie is walking down the street. I take photos of that. Just because I took the photos doesn't mean it's worth any money. doesn't mean I made any money. Then I send it to the news agency. Then what do you guys do from there? You guys take the photo and do you just blast it to every single news outlet like right away? Is it like first come, first serve? Like what exactly would you guys do? Well, I mean, in the old days, again, pre-internet when everything was slow and the competition was obviously a lot slower, you could hold a picture, do some research on it, call up the PR, call up friends of theirs and try and generate a story around it. Because I think the secret to Splash was we were mainly journalists first. So we always thought of the story. Now words, they meant nothing really as far as money, but they made the photograph or the story more so better. So if we had a celebrity walking past McDonald's, you know, who knows? Maybe she went in there. So a reporter would go down, go into McDonald's and ask them, and they'd say, yeah, she's bought a cheeseburger. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got a story about celebrity eating fat food. <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff that would make. And in the old days, in the early 90s, there wasn't a lot of gossip about them. There was probably five to ten paparazzis in L.A., and it was all long-lens stuff. So you could follow some around for a week or two without them even knowing. And then you had all this time to generate stories off it. Um, sometimes you'd literally just give it to the inquirer, let them make up whatever they do, and then that would sell your picture around the world afterwards. Yeah, so, you know, obviously before the, the, all the websites started really kicking off, you could hold on a photo, you could hold on some of this, on some of the content before you put it out there. But who was like, what sells exactly? Is it fashion? Is it news story? Like what, you know, if you're a news editor, what did you see exactly selling? Well, obviously sex always sells in some form or another. And any, any celebrity sex scandal would always do really well. Anybody who claimed to have slept with someone, as we saw with, you know, Trump recently and Stormy Daniels, those kiss and tell stories would sell traditionally to every single because it was mainly tabloids, right, before the internet came in. It was the News of the World in the UK, Woman's Day in Australia. It was Inquirer in the US. And there wasn't a lot of choice, but you knew exactly what their formula was. And it was the old celebrity scandal, the stuff that Hollywood grew out of in the 30s and the 50s, where the studios would, would make up the stories about their, their stars to, to get the press around the movies. 
same kind of thing, that whole culture continued. Very heavy political and sex scandal slant. But as the internet kicked in and the magazines proliferated as well in print, the desire for content became so huge that generally over time it, it, it swayed into the minutiae of celebrities' lives. So instead of at the beginning Kim Kardashian's sex tape, which obviously launched her, about three or four years later, it's what was Kim Kardashian wearing when she went to Starbucks? What mm -hmm. Starbucks did she buy? Where did she get her jeans from? Where was she going next? Did she go into Kitson's? What clothes did she get? And it would be people would gossip more about being being able to see that a celebrity was more like them. I think the proliferation of the internet or the democratization of media, as I call it, where blogs popped up and people's opinions became more important than news facts, then everyone was really insatiably interested in the minutiae of celebrity lives. And it's kind of interesting how that swayed over. And you can see that just by the proliferation of fashion sites, of you know, the, the, the light fashion sites like uh, Us Weekly, and the, the Just Like Us type of pages. I think people really wanted to identify with celebrities much more rather than see their, mm -hmm. their image that they portrayed up on the screen. What's, what's more valuable? Is a, a photo or a video more valuable in the marketplace? Like Kim Kardashian walking down the street, tripping and falling, is that I'm assuming a video is more valuable, but can't you sell more photos for the price <laughs> of one video? So again, sliding scales. Um, in the early days, photograph definitely over time would earn a lot more money. But a video of a very newsworthy event would make so much money up front in the first few sales, and then it would mm -hmm. die off pretty quickly. The video would be no doubt would be the, the better thing to have for a big event, but a picture would sell forever and keep being used just because more people could use photographs back then than video because of bandwidth rates and just costs and getting it to people. But without mm -hmm. doubt, I think our biggest sales ever were videos. Were videos. So the people that are very curious about the pricing, how much is the average photo worth if it's in, let's just say, Daily Mail, for example, roughly? Like an right average now? photo, yeah, like one photo or is like a set of photos. How does the pricing work? So, I mean, in the early days, a picture was very much led on, especially on the web, who got it first. So you could ask for more money because you could release it for literally 10 minutes. So the Daily Mail had it for 10 minutes, exclusive, and then the rest of the web would use it. Um, so from that point of view, you could get several thousand and it would dribble down to hundreds and then, you know, less than a hundred as it, as it went on. Nowadays, most agencies have subscription models where they just allow sites to use as many pictures they want for a set amount of money. And this model has pretty much devalued the picture down to a matter of cents. So, I mean, in a lot of cases, a non-exclusive picture would be worth 50 cents, 25 cents in, in France, a um, few dollars here. And it makes money maybe over volume. But, I mean, I think you can tell us, really, what the value of uh, pictures and video have dropped to. And it's, it's kind of dropped a lot. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, yeah. But you know what's interesting? It's, uh, you know, you saw like last week on TMZ, they had a photo of Bad Bunny and Kendall Jenner on a horse. 
Now, it's a TMZ exclusive, and they had the photo, and then eventually the photo got released to Daily Mail, and everyone else started to use the photo. So I'm sure they had maybe a 10-hour window to put the photo up first before everyone else got to it. Roughly from your experience, how much does a photo like that go for? Um, nowadays, you can, you can still get thousands of dollars for it, but I mean, if you get above $10,000 for a picture these days, you're really lucky. Um, I think the secret really is in what you just said. You give it to a website for the smallest window possible so they can claim it's exclusive. And they don't need, they don't need long to tell everyone to come to the Daily Mail first. They need an hour, two hours, three hours. And then you release it across the web. And it may be a picture, and this happened a lot. Nobody wanted to buy exclusive. TMZ, Daily Mail, you could usually rely on to outbid each other. But they're like, not interested in this picture that you're just talking about, say. So you give it to the mail for 500 bucks and suddenly TMZ is calling and paying you 2000 for it because they're pissed that the Daily Mail ran it first. So a lot of it is playing the market as well as playing the content. So people are like, we notice that our audience is obsessed with this idea that celebs contact the paparazzi, contact the agencies to you know, let them know where they're going to be, which we talk about all the time, that it's it's a very much give and take relationship between celebrities and, and paparazzi and keeping them relevant. You running an agency, how often did you see celebs, and maybe not just the celeb, but people involved with the celebs, handlers, whatever, reaching out to say, hey, we are going to be here and here. Please come get photos of us. Well, that's, that's a great question, actually, because that really is behind the way this industry has changed from day one. In the early days, you have to understand that 99% um, of people who came to LA basically end up being really pissed off because only 1% of them would make it. So the 99% the would be serving in the bars, the restaurants, being extras, and they'd get really bitter about the fact that Bruce Willis might walk into Mr. Chow's. So the Mr. Chow's barman would be a failed actor who would then call us and would tip them off and go and do the picture that way. And this was the way it kind of worked. And as, especially with autograph hunters coming out and all the sort of service workers, you had literally thousands and thousands of informants in LA who would rather make 50, 100 bucks of tipping us off than bitching about the fact that, that Bruce Willis is there all night and doing nothing about it. Um, so that was really why paparazzi took off so big because there were just so many people who just knew so much. And then when social came out, celebrities realized they could beat the photographers to their own game. So if they saw a photographer getting a picture, if they posted their own picture on social straight away, it would kill the exclusive. So then that sort of war started happening with a balance between the two. And then we sort of realized that, you know, we're, the paparazzi were like the redheaded stepchild of Hollywood. And they didn't want us at the party, but we had to be invited. So we started working pretty closely with the PRs um, and sometimes directly with, with um, celebrities, especially like on Baywatch. And we'd start working out how to do the stories and how to put the value out there and share the money. And that was based mainly on stories they wanted to get out, usually around movie time. So, all right, we'll leave you alone this week. If, if you give us this picture next week, if you're kissing your boyfriend, just in time for the release of your movie. So we all win. Um, and then that segued over time into product placement, where we knew the celebrities were starting to wear a lot of jewelry and a lot of high-end stuff and then promoting it when they would see our pictures out there. You know, they'd call us weekly and say, oh, I'm wearing this, this, and this. And that started the whole idea of, the, of, of paying celebrities to wear stuff. So then the photographers would get involved in that, and we'd talk to the brands and say, we're going to try and shoot so-and-so. Do you want us to put a can of beer in their hand, for example? And then they'd pay us to pay them 
to set up the shoots. And that's really when the paparazzi set up shoots came into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even today, Splash still goes on vacation with the Kim Kardashian and, you know, takes a couple of leaves on board the boat they're on and puts them in front of the lens and pretends we're on the beach. To shoot them <laughs> on the boat. You know, she'll airbrush her butt and send them back to us and would send them out. And I think that arrangement still is there today. I was going to say, because I, I, I've known that for a long time, that Kim that Kim has like a personal photographer that will go on vacation with her, take photos of them on the beach, Photoshop them, make them look really nice, and then sell them through the paparazzi agency. And it's been a great deal for kind of everyone involved for so long. What was your involvement in getting, making sure that that deal kind of worked out for everyone's favor? Um, I used to be the one that Kim Kardashian shouted at a lot. <laughs> um, she, was, she was amazing, especially in the early days. She was really helpful. You'd do the shoot. She'd orchestrate it. You had to shoot a certain way, as you know. She hadn't quite worked out where her butt was going at the time. And so she'd have to edit all the pictures. She'd have to airbrush, do what she wants to do, send them back. And then we'd sell them. And literally, the next day, she'd go, Gary, how do we do? And you'd know, look at your phone going, oh, no, 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 please, no. And I go, okay, well, we did really well. We made this here, this here, this here, this here. And she goes, great, so send me a check for 20000 Well, what do you mean? Well, you've sold them, so I want the money. Yeah, but we just they're not even printed yet. We've sold them, but they have to be printed. <laughs> and then they have to pay us. That takes a month. Then we have to go through our system. So in about three months, you get your money. No, I want it now. <laughs> and we have to go out and get the fucking money. Because obviously you don't want to lose a client like that. Yeah. But yeah, she was a screamer. Um, most of them are pretty good, but uh, there's a very there's a there's a big culture of well, I've done this for you now, give me the money. So kind of so here's the question: How yeah. much do you think Kim Kardashian has made off of her own paparazzi photos over the years? Well, from a licensing point of view, not a great deal of money because obviously she's splitting it with me and the photographer. Out of how much she used to charge to web bling, I mean. We used to track the pictures through the web so we could give you a rough idea. If it's on 30 sites, we know their traffic, we know what page they went to. Roughly, you know, we could say 50 million people saw your picture across the world, 65 countries yesterday, just by going by website traffic, Kim. So then she'd go back to the bling companies and say, hey, I want 100,000 now just to wear that for my next shoot. So how many things she was dressed head to toe in? I'd say pretty much everything from earrings to clips in her hair to the bikinis to whatever the hell she wore. Everything would be paid for pretty much. So she'd be making hundreds of thousands of pictures easily. Hundreds wow. of thousands per picture? Well, yeah. I mean, look, should be, she might say to, well, when I say per picture, I mean, if she's wearing a bracelet from Chanel and they decided they may have to give her 100,000 for that. If she's got 10 things in that picture, she may have to wear it five, six, seven times and get shot, but she'll make hundreds of thousands from a setup, if you like. Yeah. Holy that's crap. She used to make hundreds of thousands from selling the pictures to the news uh, magazines because you could get easily get $100,000 for Kim Kardashian on the beach back in the mid-90s. For, uh, if you wanted to get the front page of People or Us Magazine or if you wanted to run it, so News of the World and Us Magazine and the New York Post and someone else in Australia ran it exactly the same time, then you know, you're making bank. But you were splitting that also with the photographer and with the celebrity. But for us, it just made us look bigger and bigger and bigger, obviously. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So when you do these type of things, are you working with Kim directly? Or are you working with Kris Jenner? And also, how is Kris Jenner involved? Did she get involved with all this stuff, working with the other daughters? So from day one, it was Kim Kardashian that we worked with directly. And over time, you're great. You, you, you nail this on the head every time. Jenna came in and took over the whole business from her, from all the Kardashians, basically, and started doing it. I don't know what happened after I left, but I was getting screamed at by, yeah, by Jenna, not by her by the end. <laughs> Kid, though, I look at it though, I'm like, there's been no one better at manipulating this business than them. Like, they are in a whole class of their own. They've really, truly, like, I would say, empires, you know, that they've created off of knowing how to stay relevant, utilize the paparazzi, utilize the media, utilize TV shows. Like, no one does it better than the Kardashians. No, and I think that's, you've touched again on what we are talking earlier about the influencers now. Uh, the influence being new celebrities. As these guys have sort of from generation to generation, and now what are we, Gen Z or whatever, their whole life, their persona really is digital as much as physical. So they're just very adept at knowing how to do it. They're growing up in a world where they, even, even regular kids today, they're growing up in a world where they think everyone wants to see them all the time. Or what do they look like? And so the Kardashians really worked out how to monetize that and very effectively. And I think it was a market that was just begging to be taken at the time. But it needed somebody like her to drive it because mm-hmm. no one was really sure. Everyone was used to the marketing side where you buy ads, you know, buy ad that goes around the picture. And the thing we're always struggling with is, look, if I sell a picture to People Magazine or People.com for, say, $1,000 and it goes on their, on their uh, front page of their website, then the ads around that picture are probably earning them a quarter of a million because it's the first picture. They're going purely on who comes to the screen. So we're like, well, people come to this site not to look at the ads around the picture, but look at the picture. So the picture is really the biggest ad. How do you monetize that? And that's really like we, although we're putting it on people.com and using their audience, we're really trying to go directly to the audience and saying, what in this picture excites you? How do we monetize that from the photographer point of view and from the celebrity point of view? And that's still the essence is what people are fighting over today. So crazy. I was thinking about those famous photos of you know, Kim on the on the beach where it wasn't photoshopped. Do you remember those photos? Yeah, yeah. And her butt. How do you think those ones came out? Because she, all of the photos have been really hard, like guarded when it comes to beach shots. You can tell they've been photoshopped. You can tell they've been like enhanced. How the hell did those ones ever make it out? Well, I mean, obviously, she does go to the beach when she doesn't have a photograph taken, as in she's not intending to have a photograph taken. But it's a deal with the devil. You know, if you're going to work with the devil, then you have to understand that there's many devils around who are probably going to make money on the side as well. So a lot of the time, it might be a tip-off from someone who didn't like her. It might Mm -hmm. be a random event that someone saw. A photographer may have just randomly followed her from the house. Um, You know, but those shots do happen. Um, Certainly, they make big efforts to try and make sure that they don't. But I think one of the reasons why the paparazzi industry still survives is because you can still get the unguarded the stuff people don't want you to see because 
You, know, you can't have it all your own way. You can't dictate your image to the public eventually. They mm -hmm. want to know who you are. And the more you put yourself out there, the more demand there is to know exactly who you are and whether you're true to who you say you are. Yeah. Over the years, who also has... I was going to say, over the years, besides Kim, who's been the most monetizable celebrities when it comes to the, the celebrities that the outlets care about? Like, do they ever show favoritism to Jennifer Aniston? Like, we keep seeing the Jennifer Aniston photos, and I, I wonder if it was just the outlets cared about her. I don't know if it was just, like, like a media agenda behind them. Because, um, like, for example, I see the uh, Sydney Sweeney right now, Star Euphoria. I feel like, the, for some reason she's like being made into a celebrity for us. Like, and I, you know, she's done this one show. She's a very pretty, she's a very attractive girl. She's a good actress, but she hasn't done that much. But I feel like there's like a media agenda behind her. So my, I have two questions. This. Who also is the most monetizable celebrities besides Kim? Then also, has there been pushes from the outlet saying, we're going to make this person into a star. So we need maybe you guys to help us out and get this person photographed as much as possible. Okay, so, um, you know, obviously I'm talking about the days when, pre-2014, you're already here, when that's when I was doing all this. Um, Benefer, obviously, they're still probably one of the most monetizable couples just because they keep rearing their, their heads. Um, anything you could stick together like, as a Benefer or a J-Lo or any kind of uh, pseudonym you could put like that, that was part of what made you into, into the new uh, celebrity couple. But essentially, the, the formula for the women's magazines back then, Us Magazine, People, Women's Day, there was a very, very, very straightforward Hollywood-type formula. You'd see two attractive celebrities get together, right? If they knew that their audience liked those celebrities, Jennifer and, and Brad, for example, then they would follow them through the cycle of build them up, then write the stories about them starting to argue, then the ones are getting back together, then getting potentially engaged we think they're getting married oh my god they want children then you move towards either the marriage or the split and if you look like if you look at most celebrity romances they all follow a very similar path if they well they don't generally do survive so a lot of it isn't necessarily it might be the celebrities getting together to improve their pr or their image mm -hmm. it could be that they generally like each other but then the media latched onto a couple and sort of drove the whole story that way um could be a fabrication all you know all the way through which happened a lot in early reality tv where they'd put in reality tv they'd make sure two people got together on the show early and then they'd test the audience to see if that could come off when they got kicked off or after the show would they be able to monetize them going forward and in the early days like baywatch and spencer and heidi they were the very early pioneers of that model of making sure the story they wanted got out making sure they got the products they needed to push mm -hmm got out. And then if they started to, to have a project in mind or show, then they would invite us onto the set or behind the scenes or, you know, secretly pap it. And they were pretty savvy. So those really were the first savvy ones. Paris Hilton was very good. Kim, uh, Spencer and Heidi, obviously the big A-list guys were driven by a big media strategy. They don't always want the news, but if they can at least get ahead and drive the messaging, and that's why I think a lot of the, the uh, Angelina and Brad nastiness came out is because they were fighting that in the, in the court of public opinion rather than fighting in, in family court for the kids. You know, Brad didn't want to be seen to be the asshole who was beating up the kids and, and, and being the nasty guy here. And she was getting all the good publicity. So then he had to react back. So, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, so if you think about it, Hollywood is probably after 
finance and health is probably the biggest export the U.S. has after the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's the biggest export around the world. Hollywood literally is. And if you don't put bums on seats in cinemas, then that movie dies. And we used yeah. to joke before the internet that if, you know, if, if, if a celebrity pissed us off back then, we could literally say, well, look, if we don't shoot you and you don't get in the magazines next week, chances are your career is going to be dead in six months. So it's a, it's a very symbiotic relationship between the photographer or the paparazzi, if you like, the entertainment industry, the um, actor and the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You, you had mentioned in, in that right there, you had talked about fake relationships for, for press, for PR. Were, was your agency ever involved in one of those fake relationships and making sure that you guys got photos of them? Like we've talked about it a couple of times, like Taylor Swift and Harry Styles, like famously kind of went out, got photographed and it caused a lot of people talking about them. Were you guys ever called to be like, hey, these two are going to go out. They're going to be shot together, make it look like they're a couple, but simply for PR moves. You know, we wouldn't get an official channel like that because the PR company could easily be exposed for that. There'd be side mm-hmm. channels. And sometimes, most of the time, they'd be just trying to dupe us. Be like, so-and-so and so-and-so will be there. Go shoot it. Because it, even if they weren't together, we'd probably say they were. Um, you know, the beauty of gossip and the First Amendment, God bless America, is basically, you know, literally the, the, the defamation laws here are as simple as if you've got two people to back up a story and it's not maliciously leaked, then it's pretty much impervious to lawsuit. So the gossip industry knew how far they could push things. So I think if there was a relationship or a date, would be more likely to push that to make it look more serious, yes, than, than be involved in the, in the original setup. But the setups were the, the thing. I mean, if it wasn't necessarily around romance, it would be around something else. It would be around someone going to hospital or you know, someone going to a lawyer's office to prove they were going to sue someone. Or it would be setup stories all the time. So which, which famous celebrity relationship do you look back on? You were like, that one clearly wasn't a relationship, but they tried to make it look like one. Oh, gosh. Good one. <laughs> uh, God, there were so many. I mean, look, to be honest, uh, my brain's too old probably to, to remember a load of examples. <laughs> but when you went to dinner, you could usually tell. If you went to shoot someone at Mr. Chow's or at dinner, you could usually tell if it was a setup or if it was, if it was real um, just by the reaction to it. Um, I'd struggle to give some examples now, but um, I, we always used to say that a Hollywood marriage was no more than five years anyway. So the, the idea was you went into a marriage as a business just to push yourself. I mean, I guess the best example of the gossip about it was Katie Holmes and um, Tom Cruise, right? The, the idea that he paid her, put her into a contract, that if he made her a star and gave him a kid, uh, had to look at least a little bit like Tatum Channel. I mean, a um, little bit lit like him. Okay, okay. Um, but um, he would make her a star, and the rumors were like 20 million or something. 
And then he'd release her after a certain time. And of course, it all went pear-shaped in the end. But he did get her into Batman. And then she hasn't really had a role since, has she? <laughs> nah. not, not any huge ones. Not anything that was the game changer. Yeah. So that was uh, the uh, probably the ultimate example of was that Hollywood marriage relationship staged? I wish we could find out the truth to that. I wish Katie Holmes would just talk and talk about a relationship between Tom and the relationship between Tom and Surrey. I wonder if she'll ever discuss it because I think if she did, if she would discuss it, it would really help her career a little bit. Not like she needs that much help. Her photo does still sell for the outlets, but I think it would just kind of, I always say the word humanizer, but yeah, it would make her more into a real person. But I don't know if the His team would the, never the, let that happen. I'm sure that yeah. she had assigned some a lot of papers and got paid a, a good amount of money so she can't speak. So that's the, that, yeah, the, the one thing about Tom Cruise is I think he knows how to tie people up uh, as in find out, you know, for the rest of their lives and not to say anything. He's the one person mm -hmm. that he's been impervious to, to gossip really. Which is weird. Like he's, he's clearly not a great dad, but yet everyone looks past it because he's a good actor. Yeah. So it's crazy. Let me ask you this. And I, I don't want to give, I don't want to, I don't want to out people because I, I, I just don't think that's the right thing to do. Gary, but how many celebrities do you know that, or have you seen photos of over the years that like you saw them doing something maybe a little gay and you just didn't, you know, you basically just didn't, you do the photos or put the photos out there because it wasn't maybe the right thing to do. Well, yeah, we did have um, video of a celebrity doing Coke that we didn't put out. He did actually end up dying of a Coke overdose. So we ended up, did put it out afterwards. <laughs> But we, that was something we weren't going to put out unless there was a particular reason to do so from, from if you like, news value. But certainly we, we kept that back. Um, usually those kind of videos or shots were usually because a photographer strayed too far over the line. Mm -hmm. um, and then privacy, for example. Um, there'd be some naked stuff. My, my worst regret of a picture I did put out that led to me being caught by the FBI for... Um, Distribution of child porn was a picture of um, Miley Cyrus. You know, I know if you remember that in the 90s, celebrities went through this thing about going commando, we'd call it, where they would wear short miniskirts and jump out of low mm -hmm. cars with no knickers on. So there'd be that flash, that kind of, you know, basic English. Yeah, this was the, the Paris Hilton tactic. It exactly. worked really well for her, Britney. I mean, everyone was doing it for a little while. So one day Miley did it. Short dress, got out of a car, photographer shot it. We didn't really check the pictures properly. They went out, and the next thing, there's a call from the FBI field office in L.A. going, hey, we want to talk to you. And, All right, what, what about Miley Cyrus? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know those pictures. Did you sell them? Absolutely, yeah, great pictures. Did you look at them? What do you mean? They said, you should pull that up. So we did, and you just saw that some of the pictures were sent out and some that had been published basically did show. Ooh. And so they were like, look, we are investigating you right now for for distribution of child porn and so um right well look obviously that wasn't the intention but can i ask a question it's like she's 15 right yeah so shouldn't you be talking to like a father about why she's going out not wearing any knickers getting out of a low slung sports car in the middle of summer in la in front of photographers and then i tried to explain to him about how this was a trend and, and at the end it was one phone call it was over but that was probably one of the scariest times i've ever had and just certainly yeah. pulled the pictures back as soon as we could Dang, I can only imagine. That is nuts. <laughs> but, let me, so when you, but when you do get some, something scandalous, let's say 
for example, a celebrity doing coke, maybe a celebrity kissing someone of the same sex and people didn't know they were gay, some sort of scandalous sort of photo. Do you take that photo and try to sell it back to the person? What do you try to do? Like, uh, what's the best scenario for that? Do you just go to the outlets and does the person possibly just buy it for a, a lot of money? So we have done that before. And in fact, most of the people who buy pictures to stop them going out are either politicians or uh, media characters. For example, we had the News of the World editor at one point who had, had an affair with, uh, with an actor in England. We had pictures of them on the beach in Barbados. And before we'd even sent them out, the newspaper called, it was Murdoch paper. And they went, these aren't going anywhere. We're going to give you this much money. <laughs> so, um, okay, fair enough. We don't want to piss you off too much anyway. So that would happen not so much with celebs. Um, mm -hmm. Quite often they might, PR might call trying to change the vibe of the story or offer you something else if you didn't put it out. Um, they, certainly the Inquirer, National Inquirer, would do that a lot. They'd have, a, as you know from the Trump story that's out now, which we were partly involved in, try, we were bidding actually against the National Inquirer for Stormy Daniels to try and get her to talk, and they outbid us with the, with the hush money. Um, but they would quite often do catch and kill, where they would buy it up, and then they would put it in their happy safe, which would be their basically their blackmail safe for celebrities. And that's why, you know, uh, Burt Reynolds gave so many interviews to the Inquirer. It's because they had the, the stuff on him and Marla Maples really early, and it went into the happy safe. And then he agreed to give a certain amount of exclusive pictures and interviews to the Inquirer in return for not, never putting the story out. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> we would actually work a lot with celebrities on that level. Um, Stallone used to work with us a lot. Um, he had a close friend as well at Star Magazine, so he was very media savvy. And he would give us, especially with divorcing from Bridget Nielsen, he would give us tons of pictures um, to sell on his behalf. And I think he was giving the money to someone else in the end because he had a really good friend that, that sort of he was helping. But he would call up, and it'd be funny because his deep, gravelly voice, um, he called up once, he goes, hey, Bruce Willis is on my jet with Demi and the kids going to Hawaii. And, okay, here's the tail number. Why don't you go ruin the vacation? <laughs> And that was because you know, back then Bruce and he were, you know, they're probably arch rivals for the for, for the the big roles in Hollywood. So uh, like diehards versus the Rockies. So they actually kind of liked, hated each other. So they'd play these tricks on each other a lot. Um, so that was always fun when you when you dealt with with the celebrities like that because uh, you can have a bit of fun. That's awesome. I, I just love the idea of Sylvester Stallone like calling the paparazzi to prank someone else. That's hilarious. What, when you. <laughs> When you look back at your career, and I know that I, I hate when people ask me this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Is there a, a memorable photo, something that stands out in your mind of like, that was a home run or that was an, an amazing photo that was taken, like it, that like gold standard star photo that you remember getting during your career? Not necessarily you getting, but splash getting. Yeah, I haven't taken a picture ever in my life. Um <laughs> Um, so you mean a well-shot picture or a yeah, well just something that you're like, damn, that was a huge set. That was a crazy photo that we got. We made a shit ton of money on it, whatever the case is. Well, something that made a shit ton of money that wasn't awesome was, uh, and it's kind of a sad but interesting story about how the media used to work. And then Nicole Smith, when she was uh, always uh, going to hospital with overdoses or you know whatever's happening. So we're outside a hotel in Florida. She was stretched outside into um, an ambulance, and we had to video of it maybe 
a minute. That was it. Um, so we're selling it. And I think ET were leading the charge for 25 grand at the time. <clears throat> and then suddenly her PR said, we're making an announcement about her health in an hour. So we stopped selling. And they came on and said, uh, she's died in hospital. And immediately, all the TVs were calling up to bid on it. And it went to $500,000. Wow. For a 48-hour uh, exclusive. And now, that wasn't the best circumstance in which to sell that. But that was probably one of the most memorable because it showed the real highs and the real lows of the industry we're in. And mm-hmm. that literally it was worth, 25 was still a good amount of money when they just thought she was going to hospital. But to get up to 48,000 for 48 hours, back then before with the internet really as well. So that was like a massive exclusive for the TV stations. Yeah, you know that what was- I remember? Something that was really memorable about that story. And I don't think I've talked about it on here. Um, so I remember we were covering a ton of Anna Nicole Smith at that time. And right after she had died, there were some photos that ran on the cover of one of the magazines. I won't say which one it was, but there was some photos from inside the hotel room and of like the bed all messed up and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, how did they get these photos? And I remember Harvey being like, can you go find those photos? Because obviously this is a big deal. It's got like some kind of drug paraphernalia on the floor. Like, go find those photos. We have a story that's going to go along with her at the hotel. I couldn't find these photos anywhere. I couldn't find any of the agencies that had them. And I ended up calling up the site because uh, I worked with their photo editor over there. I said, hey, can you tell me where these photos came from so we can license them? And they said, oh, yeah, these are not real photos. Yeah, We just took some <laughs> photos in a bedroom, messed it up, and said it's her hotel room. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, That's insane. I was like, you can't do that. Like, you can't say Anna Nicole, uh, her her hotel room, and then like fake the whole thing and then just put it out there to the public. And it was just so crazy to me to see the other side of what people will do to to sell magazines. Well, the Inquirer used to um, plant things in people's rooms. Um, and one case, they called child services anonymously on a celebrity. And then ran a story about how they're being investigated by child services. Oh my God. And the reason being that if you make a call to child services, they have to, by law, at least make an investigation. So you're not lying. You're not saying, you're not lying about the tip. You're not lying about there being an investigation. You just, they were the ones that that would start that sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is. And they've broken some massive stories over time, like massive, massive stories that I never thought would be true. And then they turned out to be true. Especially the alien ones. <laughs> you know what's so funny? I always think there's a, you know, we've had a lot of photographers on the podcast, and there's always a stereotype when it comes to photographers. You know, that's why they have the term paparazzi because it's just a general way, you know, a lot of people have a negative attitude to the word paparazzi. They, they, it's a bad outlook on it. From your perspective, did you guys ever like, you know, because you were there. And you, you had splashed during the crazy years when Britney was running around at night, Lindsay Lohan, Parasil, and Tara Reid going crazy. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun then. Did you ever tell your photographers, hey, it it helps to antagonize these celebrities because it just creates better photos? Or was that just the era? Or is that, you know, the cameras, you know, the flashes through the car? Was that just what the public wanted? And you guys kind of fed what the public was clicking on or wanting exactly okay so yeah that's a good question um i mean to be honest as a as a paparazzi outfit now 
first of all, the paparazzi that is Italian for pesky fly, right? So, I mean, that's a negative connotation from the 30s. Um, <clears throat> but, and that's how it was done back then when the paparazzi were out. They're pesky flies because they had the big bulbs and they had to be in celebrity faces. When we started, it was really about long shooting out of the back of a car because it's a bit like going on a safari. You know, you want to get them in the natural habitat. You don't really want to force that antagonism. It was the success of the industry itself and, and the growth of the internet, people's ability to consume and phones that all swelled together to be that you had to be a foot away from the celebrity to get anything. It was just massive swamps. You remember the Britney days when 30 or 40 mm-hmm. cars would follow her from the house? We used to make most of our money from flying a helicopter and just doing pictures of the convoy because that was insane. If you got the four or five, like the mile-long convoy following, following Britney. So it's really the 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 digital, the birth of the digital camera, the uh, the, the hand phone, the cell phone, um, the internet. It all led to this horrible melee and scrum, and it got really really bad in LA, especially as you know, people getting run over, car crashes, speeding. It got really dangerous. I'm surprised people didn't die. To be honest, it was it was it was guerrilla warfare out there, um, and the kind of I'm not sure what it's like there now, but I imagine it's not as bad as those days where people were literally being run off the road, cops were all over the place. Um, and and, those were, and that's really bad. But ultimately, it's a terrible picture to get. Um, mm. Volume that drives the need to take that picture of them walking down the street and getting a bad headshot surrounded by cameras. But it's not a good story. Um, and I think that's, that's how the social has managed to sort of calm that down a bit because they can put up really nice pictures or really more effective pictures. Um, but that, that was probably one of the worst parts of it. Yeah. Did you ever have any run-ins? Because I'm assuming you also would go out and eat and be at Mr. Chow or whatever. Did you ever have any run-ins where you met a celebrity and they said, what do you do for a living? And you had to answer that question? Uh, well, usually the police were asking me that question. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a few where uh, celeb would, would, uh, celebrities would, would... I mean, Mel Gibson, 1994, the fires in Malibu. Mm-hmm. Back then, you could look up where they lived on the electoral roll, the tax roll. An Australian newspaper asked us to go check in his house, so we knocked on the door. He answered, showed us the damage to his house, and his last words to me were, now, why don't you fuck off and do a real story? So, I mean, um, but that was kind of lighthearted. But I would say, rather than words... Um, I got in a couple of fights. Um, we're in Hawaii, for example. Kevin Costner was shooting Waterworld. And this was back in the early 90s where uh, the paparazzi cameras were the same size as TV cameras back then. <laughs> so we're yep. literally sitting on the beach in Hawaii and I've got this TV camera-sized thing. I'm pointing it from as far away as I can. And you just see him get up out of his lawn chair and come walking across the beach. And as he's walking towards us, I'm like, I think he's seen us. I think he's seen us. <laughs> So he comes over, and I had a little photographer with me, Stills guy, and he just lashed for him, grabbed his camera, threw it in the sea. We started flailing at each other, and I got to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fighter, but Kevin Costa plays a tough guy, but I don't think either one of us landed a punch. And uh, eventually, you know, we get the police come along, we get arrested, handcuffed, put in a hotel room, and the cops uh, leave us in there sweating for a bit. The AC was off, of course, and then the, the cop comes in, he's laughing. And he's like, uh, yeah, Mr. Costner is filing terrorist assault charges against you. Like, what does that mean? He goes, that means you're probably not getting off the island for a while. <laughs> you know, you're going to go down to jail. We're going to book you as a felony. So you're going to be there until the judge sees you. And I went, oh, 
what can we do about this? So he starts laughing and he says, you can file terrorist assault charges back if you want. I went, I can. He goes, yeah, why not? I think that will make it go away. So, so I said, all right, we'll do that. Five minutes later, the cop comes back in and he says, again, laughing, he goes, Mr. Costa has agreed to drop all charges if you will drop all charges. I went, uh, okay. I and then the cop goes really stern. He looks at me and goes, now get the fuck off my island. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. We're done. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> a better one than that. So I'm going to need some water for this one. So um, Jen and Brad go down to Acapulco, to this gorgeous seaside cliff face, um, massive beach house in a cove in Acapulco Harbor. It takes us days to find them. We eventually find them. There's probably about 10 of us. So we're all hiring these little putt-putt boats with a tarpaulin over them, little fishermen who would get as close as we could and would be under the tarpaulin sweating in like 100-degree heat. I had a video, photographer had the camera, and we're shooting like really long lens about a quarter of a mile out. And we're getting stuff um, of him and his friends and Jen on the beach. And then you can just see them all going like this. Like that. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, okay. It's all right. They can't get to us here. So we're, we're a quarter of a mile out. And then we just hear this massive woo, 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 police alarms. And we're like, what the fuck is that? So we come out of the tarpaulin and there's a police gunboat, Mexican police, police gunboat with a 50 cal on the front, just bearing down. And they're just screaming, alto, 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 alto at us. And so there's a fisherman dad, he's sitting there and he's a panicked old man. He's got, this, he's got his hand on the outboard motor at the back. And he just looks at the cop and he goes, tuk, 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 and tries to make a run for it. <laughs> five, 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 five knots and he's just going and this gunboat's just following us blaring alto and the, and the sirens and pointing down we eventually persuaded him he needed to stop um, and that was a classic case of uh, film actually because the photographer managed to stuff the film down his pants and then give the cops a load of uh, a load of empty rolls oh so wow but that was kind of scary, you know, being chased across the Gulf of Mexico by a police gunboat at five knots. And now, so was it Jen and Brad that had called the cops on you guys? Well, it's, it's so, ah, that's the backstory. So little did we know that this amazing beach house that they were staying in the Gulf of Acapulco was the president of Mexico's beach house. Consequently, oh. so 10 fishing boats turning up just a little bit offshore and all sticking there, raised a few alarms. Plus, you could see they were looking at us, too. That's kind of that was suspicious. That's so funny. So they were yeah. like, yeah, we don't need people aiming stuff at the, uh, the president's house. That not, makes really, sense. not really. Not <laughs> really. Uh, the fisherman thinking he could outrun a police gunboat. That was, uh, that was quite spectacular. This is amazing. I love it. Uh, this is great. Yeah. So my last question for you is, you know, you've seen a lot of videos. You've seen a lot of photos. You know, I'm a video guy. What was the biggest video that you ever had or saw? Like, I'm not going to say biggest. I'm going to say like the craziest, wildest celebrity video that ever fell in your lap. Well, um, one of the, probably the most valuable was the video of the inside of the bedroom that Michael Jackson had behind his bedroom in Netherlands. Um, it was like the Peter Pan room, the one that he had, mm -hmm. it's bed, all of the kids' toys, and you could only access it through a door behind his, his bed. And he had alarms all the way down the, the corridor to alert him when people were coming down there. And that's where he used to play 
with uh, with the kids he had over, and that that was probably the eeriest thing I've ever seen to actually see inside that that bedroom. How'd you guys then, get in there? Um, there was a lot of leaks in the Jackson time too. I mean, the, the, that whole story is probably the the most profiling story that Splash ever did. It's probably the thing that really set us on the map because we broke the news of the raid on the ranch. Mm-hmm. And we had these uh, divorce papers that Emma Chandler, the father of the first, of Geordie Chandler, the first kid, we had these uh, papers two weeks before the, ra- the raid. And in, and in one sentence, Geordie Chandler, it was his uh, divorce papers from his wife. And one sentence said, I want my child kept away from Michael Jackson. And that was it in the whole thing. We thought, what the fuck is that about? And then when he got raided, we're like, wait a minute, this is what it is. So the, so the videos, the top-selling videos were probably that one. And the first video we had of Geordie Chandler, and I think it's one of the few even to date where he was playing street hockey outside of his house. Um, and that was the very first time that he was ever, he was ever, it was, he was ever identified. Um, so from that point of view, um, that was probably the most amazing stuff. Um, as far as if you want a celebrity scandal, I mean, we saw the sex videos, obviously. We helped sell some of those. Um, what do you mean you, you helped sell some of those? What does that exactly mean? Well, you know, there's still doubt today, isn't there, about how that video mysteriously disappeared from Pam's um, safe. Do you, you know, know the truth of that? Well, I don't think we will ever know the truth because we're convinced that she allowed a contractor to take it and then sell it. And then she got paid a lot of money in the end for it. But it was a lot of, it's a very roundabout way of how it done. It wasn't a case of, here you are, go sell it for me. But a couple other celebrities would, would put sex videos out and straight to the media rather than let them get leaked and then they could make money. It became a source of making money after a while. But so, so I always found that interesting because like a lot of these celebs, the, the tape goes public and then they say how much that tape has hurt their career or how much damage it did and how they're blaming whoever stole it. But in some of these cases, maybe someone never even stole it. It was, uh-oh, Adam left. He got kicked out. Oh, okay. <laughs> he'll, he'll probably jump back in here in a second. Okay. I don't know what happened. Maybe bad reception. Um, but in a lot of these cases, like it may have purposely gone out and they have to play that role. Is that what you think happened with Pam? Well, I mean, specifically, I, d- I don't know if she... I don't think even if she did leak it, she intended it to spread like that I think mm-hmm. uh, it's a case of not understanding um but i think that in a lot of these cases anyway a story is put out to promote them and there was definitely a fashion for a while that after the original sex tapes that if a sex tape of you did get out it pretty much launched several careers yeah. and so playing that artfully um paris actually i think licensed her own in the end isn't one night in paris or something i think it was called yeah, um, it certainly helped for a while. I mean, I don't know if it would nowadays, but that was certainly one way to launch a career. Sex sells. I mean, that's why OnlyFans is crushing it for a lot of these yeah. stars. You know, money going straight into their pocket, and they don't even yeah. have to pretend they don't want it out. And I think that's the interesting thing about you know the influencers now and social is that you don't need the Hollywood apparatus mm-hmm. to make it, and that's and you and your audience is much more valuable to you because you're controlling it, and if you stay authentic and you give the right messaging, then people are going to stick with you no matter what foibles or, or you know, downside you have. People yep. just want to believe in what you're doing. Yeah, it's very true. 
Oh, Gary, this was fun. Thank you so much for joining us, man. This was a, a fun conversation. We may have to have you back for a part two because I feel like you are an untapped resource here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, I think that was the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> I feel like we need to have a lot more discussions. Um, that was fun, just you being so open and honest about your, you know, your days at Splash. And, um, you know, do you, are you on social media? Do, do you, are, can people find you or are you kind of like off the grid at this point, not even talking celebs or anything? I'm, uh, yeah, I haven't really, I've been looking in the background to monetizing audiences and working on the background technologies. Happy to talk anytime, but I'm not, I don't, I'm probably too old to sort of uh, make a big social play. (laughs) Dude, I'm too old to make a social play at this point too. I I hear you on that one, but no, thank you again so much for joining us. That that was a a really fun in-depth conversation. I loved it. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks Gary. You know, what's interesting for us and I hope, (laughs) and I say this, like I feel like us and our audience were very similar, and I hope we get along. And this is one of those guests like we do it for us because we actually really enjoy the conversations, and we mm-hmm. enjoy just the stories, the experience, the learning of it. And then from our experience, the audience likes it as well. Like we have the similar interests because I found that conversation so fun, but also so interesting. And the stories about the Kim Kardashian. I mean, right. everyone thinks that Chris Jenner is the backbone of that family, is the the mind, the, the brains of that family, which she is. But let's give Kim her props because Kim is just as good as Chris. And 100%. I mean, they changed just as savvy. the industry. Yeah, just as savvy and just um, smart, good. But I, I just enjoy his conversation, his stories, and his experience. It's just the Kevin Costner story. Loved it. So good. No, so a little background here. I had talked to him the other day and we were just kind of because I used to obviously deal with him and the company a lot back in the back in my TMZ days. And so we we were catching up and trying to talk to him, you know, come on the podcast. I, I promise you're going to love it. It's fun, blah, blah, blah. And then he just started telling me all these fun stories. I was like, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> we can't waste this amazing conversation for just my ears. I'm like, the audience is going to love this. Adam's going to love this. And he did not disappoint. And uh, one of the conversations he was telling me about was that Anna Nicole Smith over the phone call. And I stopped him like 10 seconds into it. I was like, nope. I, I do not want to hear the rest of this story. So I'm really glad that I got to hear the rest of it on the podcast because it's just so interesting, so fascinating. The Michael Jackson story. Like I remember seeing that the video of walking down the hallway, the tour yeah. of the house. Like it was nuts. So great conversation. We will have to get him back uh, on another time because sometimes we get these people on that we can't get – of, you know, we can't get their whole story out in the 45 to an hour that we're on here. So we need to have them back. And he is one of those people for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, like, and subscribe, um, um, follow us on Instagram, TikTok. We have the private Facebook group called off the record where we can interact with you guys. You guys can interact with each other. It is so much fun. It's just a really cool community. Um, where we just kind of, Talk shop. You guys can ask us questions. We're, we're going to do an episode where you guys can ask us anything. We'll tell some stories that you guys have questions for us. Follow me at, at Adam Glynn, G-L-Y-N. Follow Dax Holt at Dax Holt. We'll see you guys later. Bye. A Huda Media Production.